another edition of YCT Matters. This is Carol Platt-Lebow, the president of Yankee Institute, and happy Thanksgiving to one and all. We have another delicious Thanksgiving treat for you on this edition of YCT Matters. We have a special guest, Mike Allegra. Mike is an author, and he wrote a wonderful book called Sarah Gives Thanks, and it is about a very little-known figure in American history who should be better known because it is because of this figure that we actually have a national Thanksgiving holiday. And we're going to talk about this person on this edition of YCT Matters. Mike, thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And so, I don't know, should we do a drum roll before we uh, unveil this (laughs) too little known, but really rather significant figure in American history? I think Sarah deserves many drum rolls. I think she's amazing. Was the more, when I first learned about her, I totally geeked out. Yes. I was so excited. The more I learned, the more I uncovered, the more I was impressed with her. And so, indeed, this person is Sarah Josepha Hale. And she really kind of stumbled onto her greatness, right? They say some people, what, uh, some people seek greatness, some have uh, some greatness happens to them. And I think really greatness was thrust upon her, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. She was, she had no ambition to uh, be in the public eye. She was a wife and a mother and she lived in New Hampshire and she was very happy in that role. She had a very loving marriage to a, a fellow named David Hale, who was a lawyer and they had a very happy life together. And David uh, was on his way to try some case he got caught in a freak snowstorm and then suddenly he died of pneumonia and she was left with five kids under the age of seven one of whom was a newborn and she had to figure out a way to make ends meet and that's when she took her writing talents she was always writing she always she loved to write and she turned it into an opportunity to make money to support her family and so this was in about, what, 1822, right? This was eight, yeah, her husband died in 1822, and while he was a lawyer, he was just starting out. So it's not like they had a lot of money to their name where she could coast, you know, and, and live off that while she kind of figured things out. She had to uh, hit the ground running, and he was very encouraging of her writing, and so she wrote for magazines in the past. And so instead of it just being something that she did that she enjoyed, it was now important. It was yeah. a way to feed her kids. And it's uh, it's amazing. And, and I mean, as you say, they really must have had a very loving marriage because you note in the book she wore black every day for the rest of her life. When he died, uh, yes, exactly. She was in mourning forever. And uh, she, it was, a, it was a very, in many ways, it was a very modern marriage. You know, there was it, there was a lot of give and take. They they both had a great deal of intellectual curiosity. Uh, he was very encouraging of her uh, using her intellectual gifts, um, such as writing and, and other things as well. And they really did have a great mutual respect for each other. And it was uh, something that was pretty rare at that time. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's rare today. And <laughs> it's, you know, it, she knew that, you know, that marriage was something special. And, and Yes, yes. And so that is, uh, and, and so she started writing and uh, 
Boston magazines were um, were featuring her writing, mm-hmm. and as you say, she uh, she published a book of poetry. Yeah, the genius of oblivion, which is not as not as big a downer as it sounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I right. It. it was actually it does. quite good. <laughs> It does. It sounds like a bit of a downer, doesn't it? It does. And then she wrote a novel uh, called Northwood, and she wrote that in 1827. So this would have been about five years after her husband passed. And it was a big success, and it was quite revolutionary, that novel. First of all, she was one of the first female novelists in America at that time. Um, That novel was an anti-slavery novel which was 25 years before Uncle Tom's Cabin came out. So she was pretty much the first person to, she was a hardcore abolitionist. And she also uh, used that novel as an opportunity to talk about Thanksgiving and how Thanksgiving should be a national holiday, which is um, something that she believed in and, and pursued for decades before it became reality. Well, that was something I hadn't realized until I read your book, Sarah Gives Thanks. Um, and that, Thanksgiving wasn't celebrated by everyone in the 1820s. The different states observed the holiday on different dates. Like, you know, it might be on, I don't know, November 23rd in one state and, you know, November 10th in another state. Everybody just did what they wanted or maybe didn't observe it at all. Yeah, huge cut. A huge chunk of the country didn't observe it at all because, you know, if you look look to the south, you know, that's really where the first colonies uh, started. So the pilgrims weren't anything special down there. Um, you know, the mid-Atlantic states, they had their own culture. They had their own settlers. It was very much a regional holiday. Um, in some ways, just exclusive to Massachusetts, but also in other New England states. Uh, Sarah lived in uh, New Hampshire and they celebrated it there. But it was not considered that popular. Yeah, I, I was surprised to hear it was just like a New England thing, a, yeah. kind of a regional situation, because exactly. I always thought, you know, George Washington talked about it and emphasized it, and I just assumed everybody was into it, but obviously not. No. And United so- States, the United States at that time also was very, you know, every state was almost like a weird little country, you know? Yeah. So they yeah. had their own culture that they were they were celebrating, and it was Sarah who recognized with Thanksgiving that it was, it was just so valuable. It was just something, especially at the time, because, you know, it was Thanksgiving was celebrated in the winter when the days are gray and short and everybody's depressed and kind of, you know, uh, living in darkness. And she recognized that that was a really good time for people to think about what they were grateful for. And so it wasn't about the pilgrims or or the native Americans coming together and sharing a feast. It was about what that represented, which was, Hey, you know, things might suck sometimes, but think we're, we're doing okay. Or here's, here's some nice things to think about. Yes. Yes. And what I thought was wonderful is how you were able to sketch out the fact that it was almost sort of providential, how she ended up having the kind of influence that allowed her to make enough noise to actually yeah. get this thing turned into a national holiday. So yeah, that, that novel of hers, Northwood that I mentioned, uh, that was what attracted the attention of a fellow up in Boston. His name was John Blake. He was a, a, a reverend and reverends didn't make much money. So they were just looking for sidelines, you know, some ways to make extra money. And so he founded uh, a, a publication called ladies magazine. And he read Northwood, and he he agreed with a lot of what Sarah said, and he kind of uh, invited her up there and asked if he'd run her magazine for him. 
And she took, took the reins and being the person she was, she used that magazine as a, a pulpit of sorts to talk about a lot of things, not just Thanksgiving. I mean, she talked about uh, education for women. There were no colleges for women. Women didn't go to college back when she was growing up. As a matter of fact, she kind of got her college education by harassing and haranguing her older brother, Horatio, when she was a little girl. He went to Dartmouth. And so when he would come home on break, she'd pour over his books, she'd read his notes, she'd pepper him with questions. Uh, she was just a sponge. And she felt that that opportunity wasn't available to any many other women. And, and she felt that colleges need to be out there for women. And she promoted that. And she promoted, uh, you know, charities and, and books and causes. Um, she was sort of the, the Oprah Winfrey of her day. She would, you know, say something was, was uh, something that should be looked into. And by God, her readership, which was growing steadily, uh, would look into it. And that magazine proved to be so successful, Ladies Magazine, that another guy, Gody, um, Ladies Lady Book, uh, invited her to bought, bought out that publication and asked her to be the editor of his magazine, which was in Philly, and that was the one that went nationwide. And, and that's uh, what became Gody's Ladies Book, right? Gody's Ladies Book, and and that was the one that really truly made her a national figure. It was the most widely read magazine in America. It was, she attracted all kinds of writing talent, including Edgar Allan Poe to write for her pages. And, and uh, she was just so cool. Yeah, <laughs> and really when I read about her, I just couldn't stop get, you know, when I, when I would do research, I went to a place in Philadelphia to research her. And there was a wonderful place called the library company in Philly. And it had, like stacks and stacks of these ladies magazines and lady book. And I would just pour over these things and I just couldn't, I was, you know, they kicked me out because I was there too long reading her stuff. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it was just remarkable what she did. I mean, and she, she, you know, just as an aside, she also wrote Mary had a little lamp. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, there was, she did so much. She also started a charity called the Siemens AIDS Society, which was um, a charity for the families of people who were sailors. Because sailors would go out for months at a time, and the women and the kids didn't have a way to support themselves. And she would provide them with opportunities to work and make some money, good money, money yeah. that could sustain them. Um, so, yeah, pretty much everything Sarah touched really, really made an impact. It's it's amazing, and she, and she was raising all you know these kids as a single mom. I mean, five kids. That's that's a job in and of itself. Yeah. And so every fall, you you wrote that she would keep on um, keep on talking about Thanksgiving. Yeah. She was tenacious. She was, and and she didn't do it in a subtle way either. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she talk about it and. And there was a, a year which totally cracked me up. I'm sitting there in an air archive just cracking up because you know that she's she's poking the governors that aren't recognizing Thanksgiving. So she was attacking it on a state-by-state -state basis. And Vermont, for some reason, uh, didn't have a, a state-recognized Thanksgiving day. And right there she was sort of like, oh, I'm so delighted to mention that all these – States are celebrating Thanksgiving. I do hope Vermont will consider doing it next year. <laughs> and <laughs> so a little bit of name and shame. Exactly. And so, so uh, you know, all our readers would be like, what? 
Vermont's not doing it. And all of her Vermont readers would go and they just pepper the governor with, with letters and, you know, and it became like the, the final scene of Miracle on 34th Street where he's just, boom, you know, there's bags of letters. Oh, yeah. How dare you? <laughs> and, you know, the, they listened and one by one, those start, start, states started to fall in line, but it was still not a national holiday. It was just something that was steadily gaining traction on a state-by-state basis. It but wasn't you, until... Yeah, you know, but you say she started in 1849, but and Zachary Taylor wasn't paying yeah. much attention to her? Well, well te- technically she started... I mean, yes, um, she was writing to the presidents, but I mean, right. technically she was advocating for Thanksgiving since 1827. Oh, Wow. You know, so we're talking like like thirty six years. This was a thirty six year. She she didn't. You know, she wouldn't go away. And Good for her, I know, right? I I, I admire that. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so she was. She, so once she had that platform, she got her readers on board, and then every year she would um, write a letter to the president, whoever it was. So it was Polk and Zachary Taylor and then Buchanan. And, and they Elmore, all were sort of Pierce, like, all of them. Yeah, yeah. And and um, finally, in the middle of the Civil War, 1863, Lincoln recognized Sarah knew what she was talking about. Um, actually, Lincoln was how I first learned about Sarah Joseph Hale, if I can give you like a little background as to how I first discovered her. Um, one of, uh, I hadn't been published. This is my first book. And, uh, but I would send manuscripts over to this publishing house, Albert Whitman and company in Chicago and an editor there really liked my stuff, but it didn't quite get mm-hmm. to being published. And one day she contacted me and said, Hey, uh, do you have a book about Thanksgiving that we could consider? And, uh, I heard myself say, yes, I do. And while my mouth was saying that, my brain was like, no, you don't. Yeah. You a Thanksgiving <laughs> We've book. all Why been are you there. Talking? Yep. <laughs> and I hung up the phone, had a little bit of a panic attack and figured out, I have to figure out what to write about now because she's expecting a manuscript in a couple of weeks. And I um, remembered from the wonderful Ken Burns documentary, The Civil War, that that one line, that Lincoln declared a national day of Thanksgiving in 1863. And I'm like, of course, Lincoln's a genius. Lincoln knew in the midst of the Civil War that we needed a day to really recognize the blessings, which were so hard to come by at that point in our history. And, you know, what a genius. I'll write about Lincoln. And five minutes into my research about writing about Lincoln, I realized, oh, he was sort of the celebrity cameo at the end of the movie. He really, he recognized what was a good idea. But, of course, the idea began and ended with with Sarah Joseph Hale. And, um... Again, the more I learned about her, the history geek in me went crazy. And I just could not believe the deeper I went. I mean, I could write a a series of books about her. She's done so much um, for women's rights. She's done so much uh, for charities. She has done so much to make this nation better. And um, Thanksgiving is just one of many achievements she did. And I tried to, within the pages of a picture book, try to uh, dig into um, what she did. She also oh. she also became instrumental with with uh, the founding of Vassar College, the first college for women. I mean, it's it's crazy and a little bit sad that she isn't more of a household name given I know. everything she did. But I just uh, I want to <laughs> say 
um, the book is still available. It, mm. It's inexplicable to me that that your publisher, Albert Whitman and Company, uh, is no longer putting new ones in circulation, but they can always be found. Uh, I found you because I uh, we bought the book uh, 10 years ago or so, and it was my daughter's favorite Thanksgiving book, and she grew up having this read to her every single Thanksgiving. And it is a wonderful book. And unlike so many children's books, uh, it isn't a wonderful text. And then these hideous illustrations. It's Mm. a beautiful book uh, with wonderful text and lovely illustrations. It's it's just a fantastic, fantastic book, Uh, a story of a remarkable woman who overcomes uh, misfortune in her life in a way that would have destroyed many others and then goes on to be a real central figure in American history in a way that really um, is it's just a crime that it is so overlooked. And uh, and I think it's just you've given our little our, our children, but really everyone who reads the book because it's an interesting book to get to read aloud um you know i loved the book too that's why i remembered it i mean you know i don't really unfortunately get to read this book aloud now but we saved it because i'm putting it away for her it's one of her favorites it's it's just a beautiful beautiful book and you've written other books and you can find more of mike allegra's work on mikeallegra.com and uh, Sarah Gives Thanks was his first, but he also has written chapter books. There's another book called Everybody's Favorite Book. And uh, I love it because it says anybody who says you can't please everybody isn't trying hard enough. So I'm just <laughs> I, I'm tempted to buy it just to see so I can troll him if it doesn't become my favorite book. I mean, you know, he's he's got some stiff competition because there are a lot of books I love, but I don't know. Um, Scampers Thinks Like a Scientist. It's a garden adventure, uh, sleepy, happy, cappy cuddles, and that's about uh, a a rainforest and a a rainforest creature I had not heard about. Ah, well, trust me, this is another, this is another unsung hero. I mean, not on par with Sarah, Sarah, Josepha Hale, but. Well, uh, you never know, you know, she, she. Happy Barra. Right. She was here in the Northeast. He's in the rainforest. Pirate and penguin. Uh, wonderful, wonderful books. And you do contract writing, correct, Mike? I do. I do. I do freelance. Um, I've always loved doing that. Um, And I also teach writing. I teach writing through an organization called the Writer's Circle. Uh, I do Zoom creative writing classes because nothing excites me more than, obviously, I write for kids, and nothing excites me more than the creative mind of a kid. Uh, just seeing their wonder, that that sense of, you know, that giddiness of being able to tell a story and tell it well, or maybe not tell it so well, but those ideas are amazing. And uh, I, I love interacting with students. I'll, I'll do uh, classes with them on science fiction writing and general fiction. And for teenagers, I do a horror writing class. And I just, I just love it. I, I, it's you know it's it's my passion. It's what I it's what I've done uh, ever since my early twenties when I started as a newspaper writer, and I just can't I just can't get enough of it. It's there's always something creatively satisfying about it. I'm, I'll be very curious about your thoughts on everybody's favorite book because it is probably the most opposite to Sarah Gives Thanks. It was my second <laughs> book, and it was the most different book. I think I don't think there could be. Uh, you could put more daylight 
between those two books. You have a yeah. book about a, a very important and undersung historical figure, and then you have um, a book about a guinea pig the size of a mastodon and a villain that is a cross between a robot, a dragon, and a pirate, which was <laughs> a robo-dragon pie. Yes. And um, it's just bananas. And I, I, you know, I, it, it's a palate cleanser. It's um, a very different type of story, and I've always looked for ways to kind of play. Well, um, there's a, there's an someone who had been Yankee Institute's investigative journalist. Uh, also, uh, he writes horror horror novels and mm. has been published. and um, And I I've always been fascinated by his creative process. Where do you come up with the ideas? For example, I mean, for example, everybody's favorite <laughs> book that is quite a villain. Uh, and so as we wrap up, I'm just curious, how, how do these ideas come to you? What is your creative process? Oh, well, every book has a different story. I mean, I can tell you that everybody's favorite book, uh, came about because after I got my first book published, I was having a very difficult time getting anyone interested in my second book. And I was afraid that I was going to be a, uh, a one trick pony. Um, right. And so I, uh, one day I just perused Barnes and Noble's picture book sections and I realized, oh, there is a whole section on cowboys. There's a whole section on, uh, astronauts. There's a whole section on, um, uh, you know, pirates or robots or whatever. And I thought I am going to write a picture book that has all of this. <laughs> and so that was my idea. And it was kind of just, I was like, how many ideas can I hurl into a book? And the whole idea behind that book was, hey, this book is going to be everything for everyone. And as it, as it attempts to do it, it messes things up and creates chaos. And it's, you know, you can't please everyone. Um, so that's where the origins of that book came out. Just, just how silly could I get? You know, can I throw in a princess named Glitter Sprinkles in the middle of a, a violent battle between, uh, you know, uh, that robo dragon pie and the, the uh, Astro Ninja cow and, you know, and, and then just take it from there. Oh no, librarians need to uh, like this book. We need to have really good vocabulary and, <laughs> you know, Oh my goodness, somebody's baby brother is looking over his shoulder. We need to have an alphabet book and all these things would just kind of be dumped in there. Um, but with my more recent books, uh, pirate and penguin being my most recent one, I just wanted to see if I could write a book all in dialogue and I wanted to write it all in pirate speak. And that story is just about a penguin that ends up happening onto a pirate ship by a series of circumstance and the pirate on board, he's dotty. He's confused. He thinks it is a, uh, a, a parrot and expects the penguin to behave accordingly, expects it to talk, ex expects the penguin to understand seafaring, to perch on his shoulder, to, uh, uh, eat crackers and everything just goes crazy. It goes what? badly. It's a story about friendship and accepting, accepting your ground parrot for what he is. So, uh, you know, I, I just, it all comes from some sort of germ of an idea that I absolutely adore and capybaras. Well, capybaras, Carol, you have to know more about capybaras. I will. I they will. are the cutest little, little, well, not so little. They're like guinea pigs, the size of German shepherds, but they're the friendliest, cutest things out there and a friend of mine uh, a writer friend of mine she was just in japan and there's a zoo out there where people can interact with the capybaras actually go into the enclosure and feed them and so she actually introduced a capybara in the japanese zoo to sleepy happy cappy cuddles and it's one of the most hilarious pictures i've ever seen she's holding the book open to the capybara and the capybara like is 
<laughs> reading along. I don't know, but it was just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Um, but I'm sorry, I'm geeking out. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. And, you know, from helping bring everyone's attention to an under, really an, uh, an under uh, discussed figure in American history to introducing me to the capybara, because I literally had never heard of it. You you have done all of us an enormous service, and I hope you will come back and talk more with us about your creative process and all of that, because I think it is of enormous interest in, to many of our listeners, and we are very grateful to you for helping round out our Thanksgiving by telling us more about Sarah Josepha Hale uh, to whom we owe this celebration this weekend. And so we are very, very grateful to you, Mike Allegra, and we will be linking your site oh, in the you. show notes for all our listeners who are interested in learning more. And we are just thank you so very much. Carol, it was such a pleasure to be on. And uh, thank you for uh, enduring my rambles. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. It was wonderful, and we wish you all the best. Keep writing more. Find another under-discussed uh, American uh, hero. I, I and, know. And do another, I, I, all right? I really do want to. I will. All right. I'll do and my best. Thank, thank you so much for being with us, and thank you all for being with us for this special Thanksgiving edition of YCT Matters. You're a blessing to us all. Happy Thanksgiving. Carol Platt-Lebow, join us for the next edition of YCT Matters. I'll show-